So who is God? There are many people with crosses around their necks, fish in their cars, and Bibles in their homes, but few with a biblical, theological, deep understanding of the God whose symbols they carry. Who is God? It's important that we know who God is because we will only trust God to the degree to which we understand who God is. See, if I don't understand who God is, I'm going to get really upset and really confused about what's going on in the world. If I don't understand who God is, I'm going to be very upset and very confused about why rioters are called protesters, why they can allow to overrun police precincts and be allowed to set up chaz with perceived immunity. If I don't understand who God is, I'm going to be very confused and upset about people who call themselves patriots are allowed to trample on democracy and storm the gates of the Capitol because they don't like the results of an election. If I don't understand who God is, I'm going to be very upset and confused why some are allowed to throw Molotov cocktails and allowed to run the streets without being arrested because they call it a protest, as well as those who take Molotov cocktails to level against our own democracy at the Capitol. I'm going to be very confused and upset by what's going on in the world if I don't understand who God is. If I don't understand who God is, I'm going to be very upset and confused about what I'm being told by the media, by what I'm told by my friends, and by what I see. If I don't understand who God is, it doesn't matter if you swallow the red pill or the blue pill. If you don't understand who God is, this world, everything going on in this world is going to be very upsetting and very confusing. If I don't understand who God is, I'm going to get really upset and confused at all that's going on and why the government can make pastors into criminals just because they want to do church live and in person. If I don't understand who God is. I have and we have at Flipside a very high view of God. And if I don't understand who God is, I'm going to get very upset and confused about a good many things. If I don't have an extraordinarily high view of God, I will not believe that he can and does work all things together for good. I will not believe that no weapon formally against me will stand. I will not believe that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I will not believe that he'll wipe away every tear and he's with me in every battle. I will not believe that he will cause my joy to, my morning to turn to joy. If I don't understand who he is and have a high view of God. So this series is very important. Because I do believe that words do matter. And it's important we look at the words of Scripture in the Bible to understand who God is. So who is God? Paul addressed this very question. It was in Athens, and we read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 17. And he was surrounded by people who had a lot of symbols of gods, who had a lot of spirituality in their back pocket, who would say the right things around the right people in the right atmosphere in the right context, but really didn't understand who God is. See, we read in Scripture Paul's comment, now what you worship as something unknown because you don't know who God is, 
I'm going to proclaim to you. And so in this series, we're going to look at this very question. Who is God? If you had to describe who God is, how would you do it? Some begin an explanation of who God is by the characters that they mimic. For instance, God is love, God is compassionate, God is forgiving, God is patient, God is kind. Because those are good characters we could emulate, and so we describe who God is by that. Some describe who God is by what they want him to do, that God is the God who can revive, who can rebuild, who can renew. Some answer the question of who God is by stories they know about Jesus. God is the God who walks on water, who heals the blind man, who hears the leper, who hears the... Some people answer the question who God is by what they have gleaned from other spiritual beliefs that God is the God in all creation and of all creation. He's the yin and the yang. He's the God in all things and all roads lead to heaven. But what does the Bible actually say about who God is? What are his attributes that are based on the Bible according to good, sound doctrine? So in this series that I just am beginning today, we're looking at this question, who is God? And we're going to discover who God is by his attributes. And today I'm going to tackle two attributes of God that seem at face value to be in contradiction with each other, though they are not. The fact that God is one, his oneness, meaning that he is whole, he's complete, he is not divided, there's no parts to him and nothing added and the idea of his Trinitarian nature. That though he is one God, he exists in three persons. The goal in this series is to develop an amazement of who God is. To stand in awe of how other God really is. See, we have a high view of God. I have a high view of God. And the reason why that's important is this. The higher my view of God, the greater my ability to handle stress and chaos. If I have a low view of God, when things get chaotic, I will lose my ever-loving mind. Do you understand? If I have a high view of God, then I can exist and live within the context of chaos and not be overcome by worry and fret. And this, my friends, is one reason why 2020 was so difficult for so many. Because they have a lower view of God than what the Bible says. So the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we find ourselves doubting God when we're faced with difficult situations? Do we find ourselves frustrated when we face negative circumstances? Is it hard for us to trust God when challenges come? The greater degree to which you say yes to those, the lower your view of God. See, God not only wants us to view him correctly, he also wants us to know him intimately. Who is God? This is so important for us because how you view God and how you view his involvement in your life will touch every facet of who you are. 
Everything about your life, everything about our, my life, our desires, our motives, our attitudes, our words, our reactions, our responses to people and to things is influenced by our perception about who God is. Even our own perception of ourselves will improve once we realize the awesome greatness of God and the value that he placed on your life. See, the more accurately I understand who God is and the more accurately I understand who he is and how he's, he's involved in my life, the more I will be motivated to excel in my use and investment of time and energy and the more capable I will be in handling the chaos and difficulties of this world. Who is God? See, the truth is that God wants to be known by you and God wants you to know who God is. God is completely trustworthy. God is unlimited in his abilities. In other words, he can do anything. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is sovereign. He is almighty. However, even with all that God is, and with the totality of who God is, we will only trust God to the degree that we know God. So it is very important that we answer the question biblically with good theology and good doctrine about who is God. Because the answer to that question will touch and impact everything in your life. Who is God? Now, one of the problems with asking the question, who is God, and answering that question by his attributes is one of God's attributes is that he is gloriously and magnificently incomprehensible. Now, what it means to be incomprehensible is that he is unknowable. We cannot fully know him nor comprehend of who God is. He cannot be fully known. And so the very attempt to fully know God is futile from the start. And this is why this one verse is very difficult for many people. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so this is a difficult thing for many to understand. And until we understand that God is incomprehensible, we will wrongly believe that we can figure him out. If God were not incomprehensible, he would not be a very big God. If I have a God that I can fully understand, I'm telling you right now, that is not a very big God. Uh, every man in this room understands this very principle. Because before you get married, you think you can figure out a woman. But the moment you put a ring on her finger and say, I do, you realize how incomprehensible the female creature is. Come on. Do you understand? And so the fact that I can't even understand my own children nor my own wife and to think that I would have the gall to suggest that I could figure God out. Come on. <laughs> I disagree 100%. If you are married and have not figured out a man's needs, desires, and, and inklings by now, you ought not be married. It ain't hard. It ain't difficult. That is a message for another day and another time in a different audience. 
Don't, don't get me started about how hard it is to figure us out. If you haven't figured us out, because you don't want to figure us out. You just want an excuse. <laughs> huh, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk something else. I done lost my place where I was in my notes. <laughs> the fact is, God, the, the idea of God's incomprehensibility means we cannot know him fully. He's incomprehensible. And it's good that he's incomprehensible because if we could figure him out, he would not be God. Do you understand that? No, you don't because he's incomprehensible. You can't understand it. Though God is incomprehensible and not able to be understood fully, God is also personal and intimate. And through God's infinite love and profound goodness, that incomprehensible God has provided a way for an authentic personal relationship with him through faith in Christ. See, the truth is that God came down from heaven to live on earth for 33 years. And we were able to observe him in incarnate form, in human form, as he walked and talked amongst us in the person of Jesus. And God then revealed himself continually to the world through the written word, his Bible. And the Bible provides a very clear and full explanation of who God is and what is important to him. And the reason why the Bible can contain God is because the Bible is living and active. And so that's why you can read a verse for every day, the same verse for 700 years, and it speaks something new every single time because it is new and it is alive. Even though God is incomprehensible, he has given us this written word by which we can know him. But though we can know him by this word, this word continues to speak to us in new ways because it's living. And then God went a step further and gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell the Christ follower with this very presence of God. And God does all of this so that we can go beyond just knowing about him. So we can actually enter into a relationship with this incomprehensible God. I hope you understand what a huge privilege this is. So we're going to start looking at the attributes of God from the Bible. Now, let me just define from the start here what an attribute is, in case you're like, well, that would be great. I wish I knew what an attribute is. Here's what it is. A quality, a character, a characteristic of a thing. And so we're going to start looking at that scripture at the quality, the character, and the characteristic of God. The question of who God is is answered by his attributes, by his quality, his character, and his characteristics as revealed to us in the living word of the Bible. Now, let me go a step further and tell you this. Though this is our attempt and this is our goal, any list of attributes is absolutely insufficient because God is too big. Because why? Because God is incomprehensible. So the moment we start making a list of God's attributes, we have to realize from the start that that list will be far too short because God is too big to fit on any list of man. Though we do see some attributes in Scripture. Now, because education is online and everybody's out of the habit of being learned rightly in person, we're going to go to school in this series. And so I want you to put your thinking caps on, act like a student, and act like you want to be here. 
because I'm going to force you to think a little bit. There are some of God's attributes that there's no way we can possess. They're barely knowable, let alone possessable. But there are some attributes of God that we can try to develop, though minimally. Theologically, we talk about God's attributes in two categories, non-communicable and communicable. The non-communicable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God. What that means is this. There are some attributes of God that are non-communicable. They're not transferable. They can't be communicated. They are so different and so other that God has some attributes that are non-communicable that we will never fully understand and absolutely never be able to possess. Though we're told to be like Christ, there are some things about God that are so out of our reach, we will never possess them. For instance, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. We will never get to the place of being all-powerful no matter how much we walk with God. God is all-knowing. We will never touch the ability of being all-knowing. If you've ever been told that when you get to heaven because of faith in Jesus, all your answer, all your questions will be answered, you've been lied to because that is not true. If all your questions are answered, you are now all-knowable. There's only one all-knowable in the being, being and that is God. Now you might not have any more questions but you will not have all knowledge. Do you understand? These non-communicable attributes of God, God is completely incomprehensible. You and I are not. We're real easy to figure out. The communicable attributes of God, those are the ones that we can develop. Because the the communicable attributes of God are God is love. We can develop that. God is patient. We can develop that. God is merciful. We can develop that. God is gracious. We can develop that. The problem is that most people's view of God comes only from his communicable attributes. What they see in themselves, what they see in others, and what they value. We understand that God is love because we've experienced love and want to give love. We understand that God is merciful because we know how much we need it. We understand that God is patient because we know how much we need that and lack it in ourselves. We understand who God is most often by his communicable attributes. Here's the problem. The non-communicable attributes of God are what make him holy. They're the ones that make him different. They're the ones that make him magnificent. They're the ones that make him awesome. Here's the problem. When our only understanding of God is by his communicable attributes, the love, patience, forbearance, mercy, and grace. When we go through times like 2020, we stand in the middle of the chaos and the hurt, and we say, God, if you are loving, and if you are good, and if you are merciful, and if you are gracious, why this? See, it's only when we understand the non-communicable attributes of God, that God is all-powerful regardless, that God is all-knowing, that he is uncomprehensible, that he is sovereign, that we can stand in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of 2020, in the middle of the unknown future, and say, God, even though this is what is, you are. And because of who you are, in the middle of where I am, I'll praise you and I'll trust you. Who is God? The beginning of these attributes I want to look at are going to sound like they're in conflict with each other. I want to talk about the idea right from the start that God is one. 
He's not mixed. He's not divided. He's not multiple. God is one. And his oneness is profound. And though God is one, God is Trinity. The oneness of God and his triune nature. Have, 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 have any of you ever wondered about, like, how is God three in one? You heard, any of you have ever heard? Yes. A few of you? Okay, here's the thing. I geek out about this stuff. I mean, I really do. I, I geek out about this stuff. And so I'm going to do my best to preach and to take you to school. The Trinity. God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Most people are very comfortable talking about God the Son because we call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And we talk about his love and his mercy and his patience and how he healed the leopard and the blind, the leopard, <laughs> made the leopard in the line. No, the leper and the blind man and the mute and the demon possessed and the woman caught in adultery. And we, he did all this stuff and we like talking about him, but we have a problem and difficult talking about God the Father because after all, if he's the great, you know, this great omniscient, um, almighty, all like how do we understand that in the midst of what goes on in our lives? And we have even more trouble talking about God the Spirit because how do you, after all, define fine spirit but this is God now though God is triune exists in relationship with God's self before anything else was created there was already relationship of three because God exists within God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit that were eternally existence never came into being were always being so there was already relationship in the beginning, but though there's relationship with the triune nature of God, there is oneness, unity. God is one, God is only. There's nothing added to God, there's not parts of God, there's not separate. Christianity is what we call monotheistic. It's really easy to understand. Mono means one. Theos means God. Christianity is monotheistic. And it was the first ever understanding of monotheism. That's our word for it. But the first understanding of monotheism was in God. And that's why the Shema Israel, what's recorded for us in Deuteronomy 6.4, is so important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One, this idea, and this contributes to God's attribute of oneness, is so profound, and it was so radical at the time God introduced God's self as the one God to humanity. The reason is because of what we call progressive revelation. Now, please understand what I'm talking about, progressive revelation. God is so big. That God couldn't show up in all of God's self and say, boom, here's everything I am. And so he had to work in the context of culture and the understanding of man to say, this is who I am, and 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 progressing till the person of Christ, the full embodiment of the Godhead. And so progressively, now, please understand, I'm not talking about perpetual revelation. 
God is fully revealed in the, through, the pers- through history in the person of Jesus and now through his word. Perpetual revelation would say that though we have the Bible, we have other scriptures that we could add to this. That is false. It's Mormonism and it's not true. Perpetual revelation would say that what God has already said, he could change his mind on. And all we got to do is get a word from a prophet to change God's mind. That's not true. That's perpetual revelation. And again, Mormonism, and it's false. And so though we have progressive revelation, it stops at the pages of Scripture. And in the pages of Scripture, we have the full understanding of who this one guy is and relationship with himself. So God slowly revealed who God is to the culture of people he was communicating to. The Bible does not progressively reveal, though God is revealed progressively in Scripture. The Bible from the start talks both about the oneness of God and the triune nature of God from the start. But God understanding how people understood spirituality when God was revealing God's self to people understood that people started with the idea of animism. And these things are still around today. Animism would say that there's a spirit in everything, that everything has a spirit in it. There's a spirit in the trees and there's a spirit on the rocks, there's a spirit in the river and there's a spirit in fish. And as man understood spiritual things, developed this idea called polytheism, which is many gods. Think about the Greek gods system. And that developed over time into henotheism. The idea of henotheism is that there was a God over individual groups and territories. And so my people group could have our God. Your people group could have your God. We have the God of America. We have the God of Japan. We have the God of India. We have different gods, and they are the gods over that area and over that people. And that's why through Scripture, we see the Philistines worshiping the God of Dagon, and the Canaanites worshiping the God of Baal, and the Hebrews worshiping Jehovah. And that's why when these things would come in conflict with each other, it was always the God of the Hebrews against the God of the Philistines and the God of the Canaanites. And that's why Elijah as a prophet of God would do battle with the prophets of Baal because this idea that there was a God there and there was a God here and we'll just let them duke it out and see who's biggest. But through it all, God has always said, I am one. The idea of monotheism, one God over all gods. From the first page of scripture and the first verse, God has made this assertion. Regardless of how culture has developed its understanding of spirituality, God has always said, I am one God existing in relationship with myself. That's why he, God uses the word El Elyon. I am the most high God and the exalted God over all gods. That's why he calls himself El Shaddai. I am the almighty God and the sustainer of life. There is no other gods that sustain you but me. I am Adonai, the master and the Lord, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why he says, I am Jehovah. I am. And though God is one, we see God in Trinity from the very beginning. This is why Genesis 1-1 is so important. Because Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, what? God, 
created the heavens and the earth. There is no henotheistic God, the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. He is the God over all. And he says, in the beginning, God. Now, when we read that, all we see is the word God. But the Hebrew language reads it as Elohim. Here's what's important about that. El, the name for God, is singular. There's one God. But the ending, I am, in Hebrew means plural. There's one God in plurality. Never before is the word used. Never before is this type of syntax used. Only in Scripture at this point, there was one God existing in plurality. From the start, God said, I am one, and I exist in relationship with myself. See, the full revelation of who God is has been present from the beginning. I'm one God in plural form. But God has revealed God's self slowly and progressively to our minds because, after all, he is incomprehensible. It's been said that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Here's how that looks. Many different ways throughout the New Testament. But at the baptism of Jesus, this came into full view. Because after all, God is one God, though he exists in a triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the baptism of Jesus, God the Son was present in the water. And God the Father said from the heavenly throne, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And at that moment, God the Spirit ascended, descended in the form of a dove, Father, Son, and Spirit present one God do you understand do you understand no you don't because it's incomprehensible (laughs) God is one God is three here's how to understand it he's one in substance he's one in essence he's three persons the way we say that theologically is a word called homoousia Everybody say homoousia. Homo means one, ousia is essence. God is one in essence. Though he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He's one in essence, undivisible. Though he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Now some people think, and I understand the idea, that one God, three persons is a contradiction. If we weren't having this conversation in church, if we were down at the bar having a beer talking about this, would you then admit that this seems at some level to be a contradiction? Some of you? Though we're in church, you can't say that because then you sound like a bad Christian, right? So let's just be like we're not in church and let's all agree that this seems like one God, three persons is a contradiction. That would be true if we understood the definition of contradiction. See, our problem is not with who God says God is. Our problem is that we don't even understand what the word contradiction means. And if we don't understand what the word contradiction means, how dare we think we can understand who God is? Here's what a contradiction is by logic. By logic, a contradiction is a thing cannot be both A and non-A at the same time in the same context. That's not what God is saying. A contradiction is this. Something cannot be A and non-A in the same context at the same time. That's not what God is saying. If we were to say that God is one essence and three essences, God would be a contradiction. If we were to say that God is one person and three persons, that would be a contradiction. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is one in essence, three in person. There's no contradiction. You understand? No, you don't. And thank you. I appreciate it. This is how profound God is. This is how other God is. 
God exists outside the space-time continuum. And yet he wants to be so personal and so intimate. Can I tell you why this whole talk is important about attributes? This is so important for us to understand who God is. This idea of his oneness and his incomprehensibility and the idea of his triune nature. Completely and fully one God. It's so important. Here's why. Because due to sin, God the Father's wrath must come. And the Father's wrath would destroy those on whom it falls. And only God could absorb God's wrath. So it was on the cross that God the Son beat death and absorbed the Father's wrath. So now, because God the Father's wrath has been accepted and absorbed by God the Son. We can be indwelled with God the Spirit. One God, homoousia, of one essence, existing in three persons. Take out any one of those three persons and salvation itself falls apart. So now you and I escape the Father's wrath through faith in the Son and are now indwelled with the Spirit. If you don't understand the oneness of God, you will miss the fact that God died for your sins. And you will miss the fact that God offers you relationship with God. If you take out any one of the three of his personalities, you miss the process of death and resurrection and salvation. This is so important. And not only that, this is so important because God the Father, because of the Son's action on the cross and the indwelling of God the Spirit, is now pleased, get this, to adopt me as his Son because of what God the Son did on my behalf. And he's willing to adopt you as his Son and his daughter. And not only that, he's willing to make us now because God the Father's wrath was poured out on God the Son through the indwelling now of God the Spirit to make us co-heirs with the Son of God. God. You take out any one of these and you miss the opportunity to be a co-heir with Christ. This incredible God loves us so much that the wrath of the Father would be poured onto the Son so they can give us the Spirit. So now, we can have access to this incredible, incomprehensible, almighty God. The one and only who exists in three persons so you could know him. Imagine, just imagine being right with the Father through death of the Son and having this Holy Spirit indwell you. Imagine this almighty God who must 
administer his wrath over sin. And whether you admit it or not, you have broken God's law. I have broken God's law. If you call it a mistake, you call it a faux pas, you call it my bad, do whatever. The Bible calls it sin. And God the Father's wrath must fall because of sin. Imagine being right with God the Father, not because of how we live, not because of what we do, not because of what we don't do. Being right with the Father simply because of faith in God the Son and then living with the power of that almighty God resident within us through the Spirit of God. It's incredible to be adopted and a co-heir with Christ. It's this God that we study. And it's this God that we will come to know more fully in this series. And it's this God that we worship. And it's this God that loves us. And it's this God that has said, just love me and respond. Friends, I want you to know there is no God like our God. I want you to understand there's no other faith in the world that has a God like our God. He is the one and the only, the almighty, and exists in three persons so that you and I can know that which is unknowable and incomprehensible. I don't want you to miss him. I want you to be overwhelmed with who this God is. And stand back and say, Oh, Jesus, I thought I knew you, but God? And so, on the night that Jesus was betrayed into the hands of the men who would crucify him, he gave us a memory tool because he doesn't want us to forget who he is what he's done, and who God is. See, the disciples, they understood that God is one. After all, it was God's people who understood the idea of a monotheistic God. That God is one. They knew that God's chosen one, Messiah, would come at some point. Most missed him. His disciples started to figure out that perhaps it's Jesus who is the Messiah. But in their minds, the Messiah, God, could not die. Why would God bleed? And so Jesus said during that meal, he said, friends, I want you to take the bread. I can't take the bread because mine won't open. I'm glad that the disciples didn't have to do social distancing stuff so they could actually have a meal with Jesus. That would have made this process really, really weird. But it was during that meal that Jesus said, I want you to remember this, who I am, and that God has come amongst you. And he took the bread and he lifted it up and he gave thanks to God and he broke the bread and said, this is my body which I'm giving for you. Don't miss this. God has come down. And he's given himself for you. He said, do this in memory of me. 
And in a very similar way, Jesus took the cup. And it was almost blasphemy to think about. Think about this. Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new promise of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. How do you make God bleed? Think about it. How do you make God bleed? The almighty, the creator of heaven, the God over all gods. How do you make him bleed? He takes up human form and loves. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Do this as often as you drink it in memory of me. And Jesus said, you don't forget who I am. You don't forget what I've done. I am God in the flesh. And I've come that you might see who God is, this incomprehensible God. That in following me, you can be indwelled with the spirit of God. Don't you miss who I am. Don't let it slip by you who I am. I am so far beyond you. I am so far other than you, but I want you to know who I am. I am incomprehensible, but I'm giving you a glimpse of how much this incomprehensible God loves you by my son dying on the cross. Don't you miss who I am. Molly, will you sing a little bit?